welcome to Bureau Happold in Conversation, the podcast where we talk about the big issues in engineering and construction. This episode is all about temperature and engineering, heating and cooling your buildings and cities. How can we cool and heat our buildings more efficiently and more effectively? Can we share heat between houses, across a street or even throughout an entire city? And what should we do with unwanted or rejected heat? And what about behaviour? Is there a case for changing the way we live and our attitude to just what is a normal temperature? To answer these questions and more, I have a panel of Bureau Happold experts ready and waiting. So here they are, and here's what they do. Um, hi, I'm Lara Balash. I'm an energy engineer um, in the team in Leeds. Uh, I work on low carbon energy projects for master plans and um, recently university estates, particularly in um, decarbonisation. Very good. Uh, Nick Boyd, I'm an associate in the energy team. I also sit here in, in Leeds. Um, I work on fairly similar projects to to Lara, um, campus-based projects, um, and uh, yeah, university schemes also. Yeah, I am James Dickinson, I'm the technical director, head of the energy team, North of England, Scotland, um, leading on quite a few interesting projects at the moment. Um, some of them thinking about retrofitting buildings for cooling and uh, at master plan scale, and also looking at UK wide um, sort of electricity demands which relate to changing energy demands. Yeah. I'm Adam Dyson, I work in the MEP team in Leeds, I'm senior mechanical engineer. And uh, I guess one of the more relevant projects I've worked on recently is the Leeds University decarbonisation, also Eshalt Positive Living, which is a net positive energy and water master plan uh, near Bradford. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, welcome, everyone. Um, we've got a lot to talk about, so I think we'll start off with a very big question. Um, what are the first steps we need to take to solve this problem? And I think Lara might have some answers. Well, in terms of answers, I think it goes back to the kind of lean, mean, green hierarchy that we always kind of come back to when it comes to um, the correct way of making buildings more efficient. Um, so lean being the first step of that is taking your passive measures and taking that as far as you can, pushing the envelope to make sure that your cooling demand is as low as it can possibly be to minimise the use of active cooling. Now, how you do that in a kind of changing climate is depends on your geographical area and so many issues around like your site and the orientation of your building. But there's um, probably good standards that you can employ to any to any building. Um, I suppose one of the main things is how how can we recycle our heat? Uh, yeah, I'll chip in there. Um, I think uh, interesting developments in the use of um, in community systems where especially if buildings have simultaneous um, heating and cooling demands um, then you can look at using um, heat pump systems or um, air conditioning systems to recycle some of the the waste heat while you're cooling a building and vice versa if we're heating a, a residential building for example we can recycle cold rejection from that um, heat pump process or chilling process to cool other buildings so i think the if buildings need heating or cooling, then a good way is to maximise the at least the efficiency of the waste energy. 
Are we from doing those that, projects. Can you think of any examples that we're doing that in, in at your apple? We're looking at a 5G network down in Portsmouth. Uh, yeah. There was talking it today, which I think is probably right now. <laughs> um, but we're doing it there in a few projects. I'm, I'm working on a, a stadium right now, and that's something where we're looking at kind of an ambient heat loop with a water source heat pump, recovering that um, that cooling load from some of the hospitality areas to the, the hot water demand in the stadium is quite a large component of the of the energy requirement so it's using that uh, to, yeah. to preheat the hot water so i, I think it's um we, we talk about district heating and district cooling and sort of generation terms so the fifth generation of district heating and cooling is really looking at a sort of ambient loop temperatures in a in a, in a network which enables buildings to reject heat and abstract heat from that network so you can start to share that heat um throughout a whole master plan um, that's quite an exciting development um, that we've been pushing quite hard on, on new projects and um, it's starting to sort of take shape and um, there's another project we're working on um, near Glasgow at the moment um, the Advanced Manufacturing Innovation District Scotland um, near Glasgow Airport where they're looking to abstract waste heat from a wastewater treatment plant and use that to balance an ambient loop which will then be used by new buildings on a high tech um, science park um, where buildings can reject heat and um, also abstract heat from that loop. Um, so that's been quite exciting. Um, I think you can look at that within a building or you can sort of look at that um, across a whole district and um, different buildings working together because different buildings have different demands at different times of the day. So and I think integrating um, short and long term storage as well so if it's a simultaneous situation to share this heat and cold then then great but you can also integrate longer term storage of that heat and cold for use at a at a later a later date whether that's physical thermal storage above ground or also below ground energy storage um yeah via borehole um, borehole how, systems how as well. does that um when you uh, you suggest these new innovations to clients how do how do they take it because when you're using completely new technology um, mm. or has this technology been around for a long time uh, well a lot of it's been around for a long time but yeah. it's the appreciation of the technologies um mm. I, I think, yeah, personally, before I be but I have some background in the ground energy field um, and the actual technology and the implementation of, of, of heat pumps has been yeah, around for 20 years, 30 years, you know, for an extremely long time. But a lot of clients still quite reticent to, to move forward um, mm. with the technology. So it's definitely becoming more and more prevalent now. Um, I think planning, planning probably has something to do with it as well because as planning targets become more onerous, suddenly the default solution is not gas fire boilers and the CHP. You're looking yeah. towards electricity as your um, energy yeah. generation that's moving towards heat pumps and things like that. The, the counterfactual is definitely changing, so uh, that's driving a lot of new innovation and new technologies in, in the cooling sector. And like Nick was saying, the, the technology is not new. It's basically the combination of technologies put together to, to provide a solution. And part of how we communicate our projects is, is putting that across in a quite a simplistic way. So we're not sort of pushing what seemingly looks like a really complex solution, but is really, you know, when I talk about that project in Glasgow, it's, it's some fairly basic HDP pipe in the ground 
some heat abstraction at one end and some heat pump technology at the other end. And the other way of looking at a heat pump is actually just the chiller in reverse, which essentially is. And chillers have been used in buildings for decades. Yeah. And that's really what we're doing is bolting together existing technology in quite a simplistic way. And I suppose that yeah. then the clients, you know, they understand what you're trying to do. If you, that, you're, that what we do, the technology is not new, but it's it's combining it in a certain way yeah. uh, to produce maximum efficiency. Yeah. yeah. What you can find is that um, on a lot of these projects that are looking at ambient loops, instead of client might already be familiar with a system inside a building where you're rejecting heat to the air, but instead you're actually just rejecting heat to an ambient loop. Mm. So it, in terms of what it looks like inside the building, it's still re really familiar, but you're actually using that heat elsewhere and making that whole system more efficient. And you're making the heat a commodity in terms of the heat projection. You can actually, there's value to that in terms of somebody using that heat elsewhere. So yeah. um, if you take this a step beyond the, what we're also starting to see having an impact in comfort levels in buildings, is, is the inability on a lot of existing buildings to retrofit cooling in terms of rooftop plant in a conventional sense. So the ability to actually look at how you can do that from passive measures that we talked about already in terms of cladding a building, not only to stop the heat escaping out of the building, but also heat getting into the building. Um, and then that ability to reject heat into a, a loop as opposed to rooftop um, sort of chilling um, heat rejection plants is, is really compelling for quite a few of our clients. Mm -hmm. And we're working on two big hospital campuses in London at the moment, Guy's and St. Thomas's. And there's a lot of 1960s buildings there. And obviously the NHS is really worried about the resilience of their um, assets and their facilities to not only house patients that are already in, you know, in operating theatres and, and in wards, but also uh, from a community perspective, hospitals are often seen as a safeguarding place in extreme weather events. So they're now starting to look at new standards for their existing buildings and it's quite a worry for them how they're going to achieve that. Yeah. Within a certain budget, I imagine, for the NHS? Certainly within a certain budget, yeah. And part of our role on those projects is looking at commercialisation of energy and looking at how that can be sort of procured by other means and that's quite an added value aspect to what we deliver in Borough Hapold is, is being able to piece together the engineering but also the commercial solution in terms of how that's procured and making sure financially it works for our clients um, so it can look at different revenue streams and split out the capex and the opex uh, in that equation. Um, you mentioned extreme weather events, um, mm. are they becoming, we, we, we all know they're becoming more common, um, how, you know, how much is this now a factor in your design work? Yeah, so I think there's two aspects to global warming. Um, obviously, the solutions we're providing are looking to reduce carbon emissions, which have a direct impact, obviously, on global warming. But part of what we would do is mitigation as well. So you look at um, new building design and also existing building retrofit, and it's how you achieve the same comfort levels in those buildings um, as time goes on. So part of what we look at is future weather data predictions yeah. up to 2050 and beyond and how you can future-proof those buildings to allow cooling, not necessarily to be installed in great quantities on day one, but it can be retrofitted in the future. And a lot of that is with passive design and um, energy efficiency and new technologies. And those 
future weather data files that you you model the building with um, at those early stages are critical because what you don't want to be doing is retrofitting within 20 years on a building um, and it, you want to be able to test that to an extreme. So that's general trends in terms of rising um, temperatures, but then the extreme weather events uh, is, is quite an interesting aspect yeah, as I think, well. I think um, uh, for us, the, the kind of future weather thing is uh, definitely the, the passive design is the bigger influence on. So you may have oversized openings for your passive design now, but then that's suitable hopefully if the predictions are correct for you uh, to still operate passively in the future. But like James says, it's just eliminating or reducing that chance of having as long as it can really. Yeah. Yeah. We take Abu Dhabi Louvre as an example project, not a project that's obviously well known to people in Borough have holders. A lot of the work we did um, was not only within the, the discrete museum spaces, which were like sealed boxes, which obviously had to be um, conditioned to a very exact requirements, um, but we also did a lot of work on looking at the operative temperature in the circulation space and amongst the buildings. Um, so that was using techniques to, um, to analyze the effect of radiative cooling. So if, if certain surfaces were at a different temperatures, water features, all the, all the um, and, and indeed the, the actual dome, looking at the emissivity of that and how you can actually affect the, the feeling of um, heat um, for people sort of circulating around the space. So some of our engineers, building physics engineers, be, become experts at sort of analyzing that. Um, so you're not looking at just the ambient air temperature, as it were, you're actually looking at the, the temperature that a person feels as they kind of walk around that space. I suppose it's also about changing people's expectations about temperature, sort of what, what is the comfortable temperature to live at and perhaps changing people's views on that. How, how do you deal with that? Yeah. That's particularly challenging. Yeah, that is yeah. 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 Every, every client yeah, has a completely different feeling. So yeah, yeah I mentioned before about uh, yeah, I personally worked on projects with high rise, um, central London, extremely expensive apartments, you know, mm. for, for, for the rich and famous, yeah. like James. And um, uh, what are their expectations in terms of temperature? So they, they, <laughs> they, um, yeah, they look to have very active cooling, you know, even in residential units, which yeah. is not the normal. You know, that's not that's not the sort of the standard specification that you would that you would design to have active cooling in uh, in a, an apartment. But they they know that the clients that are buying those flats are, are going to really want yeah. serious active cooling. So that presents a challenge there, whereas you know, a lot of other, um, you know, trying to change the perceptions of, of cooling. It's a bit like the other way with, with heating, you know, trying to get people to be comfortable in it. And turn down the temperatures. Yeah, turn down the temperatures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. wear so, a jumper. Yeah. In, a, in an office space as well, I think what we've found now, we've moved to our new Leeds office and we, we now have active cooling available to us over the summer. Um, there's a big behavior change um, required and you know you have the classic air conditioning wars mm. and it's you know you're sitting at one end of the office and you're wrapped up in a blanket and freezing in the middle of July <laughs> but the cooling is is on and someone else in the office is very happy so there's that kind of cultural change that needs to happen as well now. I think there's a cultural change. There's also what's quite interesting is we, we have a set of guidelines and standards we design to. So say you pick SIMSI guidelines to design your internal uh, temperatures to. These were written quite a long time ago when the majority of the workforce was male. 
mm. who are generally, they run a bit warmer, they tolerate higher temperatures. Now with the demographic of officers changing, say, I don't know what we are in these, like 30%, mm. 50% women, I don't know. Yeah, mm. I don't know what we are. Yeah, yeah. But then it's suddenly the temperatures we've actually designed these systems to, despite following the guidance, are not, probably not fit for practice. Uh, it's relaxing dress codes as well, you know, like yeah. when we're yep. working in the Manchester office where it's naturally ventilated, you know, actually it makes a lot more sense. Just let people come in in shorts in the summer. What's the big problem anymore? It's 2020. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine in some projects you work on, such as NHS projects or defence projects, there are stringent guide regulations around temperature. Yeah, I mean, it's like James said about the um, the museum. There are certain projects that you just, yeah, for whatever reason, whether it's a client-specific request or something environmental, you know, you you can't get away from active cooling on on that project. So, yeah, that's what we've been talking about. Have to find ways of of making that cooling the most efficient it can be, or mm. yeah, lowering the energy to create it in the first place. Mm. We've talked about a lot of sort of uh, new technology, well, bolting on lots of different types of technology. Is there anything we can take from older technology? I'm just thinking of, of the Middle East and wind towers and using sort of natural cooling techniques like awnings or overhangs or shutters or things like that. Do, do you ever factor in mm. sort of physical cooling? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what we've seen, um, obviously, in the 80s and 90s, there was a trend for a lot of projects in the Middle East to mimic um, design um, aesthetics that you had in the uh, Western world, uh, whether it be in the UK or in America. So a lot of facades and glazing, um, which are not great for minimizing cooling demands. And what we're seeing now is a lot more focus on the passive design and trying to reduce um, glare and, and sort of um, solar um, sort of um, gains within a building as well. And if you look at some of the architecturally, um, if you can go back hundreds of years in the Middle East, the way buildings were designed there, and it was very much to minimize. It was high thermal mass as well. As uh, high thermal mass, you know, and exactly right. And what we're seeing now is like almost a shift back towards some of those techniques, not to make look make buildings look exactly the same, but sort of trying to mimic some of those design principles. So there's almost like a cycle where we've kind of gone back to using some of those um, those principles of design. Mm -hmm. So all of those passive design measures common in those traditional building types, especially in the Middle East, you see amazing like rammed earth and just amazing building forms that are just so efficient in terms of um, limiting overheating. We're actually reverting back to that now, and that's that's the most efficient way to do things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's quite exciting in a way to work as engineers. Usually, we've been bolting on solutions onto an architectural design, but. Mm -hmm. I guess um, our teams now are more integrated in that design process in the early stages of design. So we're now in quite a powerful position where you can actually instruct, well, tell, well not instruct, but tell an architect, actually, if you design the building in a slightly different way, bigger thermal mass potentially with more um, solar gain protection um, and, you know, better ways of rejecting heat, you know, at different, different times of the day, you know, because diurnally you can reject heat better 
at lower temperatures at night time and how you can use that thermal mass in a building or within storage within you know thermal storage in tanks um, whatever it might be it's, yeah I do it's, feel like being slightly realistic you're probably just extending the period of your natural <laughs> ventilation or, or your passive design I don't Definitely, think yeah. it's, it's probably not realistic to think you know at one time people live with wind catchers and yeah. everyone would be happy to do it again you'd just be extending that period where you yeah. wouldn't have to turn your cooling on but in somewhere like the Middle East I think to yeah. meet to meet modern uh, expectations you, you would definitely without take, doubt you would yeah. the hierarchy so that you're yeah, 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 yeah. It's, a che- it's a cheesy word but smart it's like smart building design to minimise demand whereas like James was saying a few years ago you might get an architect says this is exactly how I want the building to look yes MEP you know make my glass box comfortable please yeah fit all your plant into a (laughs) room when we're designing in 50 years time will cooling come first when you're designing a building no uh, come first come first I think you'll still follow Lyra's lean mean green Mm. and we need to think about the key metric here which is comfort and how you measure comfort and and what people feel and how they work in that space. There's been lots of links towards productivity and everything else in terms of having a comfortable space to work in. Our previous Leeds office was particularly uncomfortable during the summer. It was awful. Like there were times when it was unworkable and on a mezzanine floor. And we see that in uh, we've seen that previously in 17 Newman Street as well in our London office. And are we even working in buildings in 20 years' time? Are we, is it all flexible working? Do we all just work from home? That's a philosophical podcast. Are we working at all? Is there anything else you wanted to add uh, about the future of cooling? I, th- I think yeah. there's been a, a shift to only, we previously only thought about heat um, and now we're looking at cooling as a means of generating heat and yeah. vice versa. So there's a shift now in terms of looking at comfort and then looking at how you make comfort work for you in a, in a building. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'll never get away from having to reject heat, but mm-hmm. for me it's using that usefully rather than just... Mm-hmm rejecting it into the atmosphere but recovering it and, and yeah. using it in the building or somewhere else on the campus or the city scale whatever mm. the scale yeah. yeah thinking about the metrics by which you measure a successful yeah. quote-unquote building um it's not just about energy efficiency um in talking about the leeds office it's about you know going for well certification mm. you know it's always health and well-being aspects that are going to be so important um and yeah. people are really switching on to that but you're actually thermal comfort can be a massive problem and we're already seeing extreme weather events that make buildings difficult places to be some buildings difficult places to be and we need to actually take that requirement really seriously and it can have a big impact and you can build that into your whole business case for your design of your cooling system you have been listening to Bureau Happold in conversation where engineers and consultants discuss big issues that affect their work and the built environment. Catch up with the rest of our conversations on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you've heard, please do share this podcast with your friends and colleagues.